Welcome back to Head of the Pack postgame edition. I guess that's the only edition we do now since we're doing uh, one a week in season, but I'm here in Tampa in the Raymond James Stadium press box. Bills back in Wisconsin. Packers 14, Buccaneers 12. Hope you guys bet the under. It was at 42. <laughs> Y'all thought that was low? Nope. Way too high. Um, listen, an important win for the Packers. They're 2-1. and one. I, I said before this, if they had lost this game, it wouldn't have been time to press the panic button, given kind of the favorable schedule, at least on paper, that they have ahead in the next month. But this was a big win. And you can say what you want about the offense looking bad. Uh, we can get into that later. But, man, the defense and special teams today was special. I know the, the Buccaneers didn't have their top three receivers, and they have some injuries on the offensive line. But bottom line is this. The Packers won a game with the other team having the best football player of all time. They won a game when they were playing arguably the best defense in the NFL. They won a game at the same stadium in which a similar script unfolded two years ago when they went up 10-0 and lost 38-10. They went up 14-3, offense vanished again. But these aren't your, your, your mother's Packers. These aren't your grandmother's Packers. This isn't the team that's going to wilt when hit in the face with adversity like the Packers have against the 49ers, the Saints, the, the Buccaneers in the past couple of years. Some adversity hit today when the offense disappeared. They converted one of their last 10 third downs, but they still found a way to win. How impressed were you with this one when uh, you look at the big picture, Bill? Yeah, it's hard to look too much at the big picture. Like you said, no Mike Evans, who is the only receiver with eight consecutive 1,000-yard seasons to start his career. Godwin has a couple thousand-yard seasons. Julio is number one all-time, or number one among active players. So, I mean, it's, it's really hard to not put an asterisk on this from that perspective. But Leonard for an average like 2.9 yards per carry, he had a long run of six. That's good defense. Two turnovers, that's good defense. Tremendous pass rush, that's good defense. So I, I get it. They were weak on the perimeter, and they took advantage of that. But you said, Matt, what you said, Matt, the defense is really good. The special teams is great. They end up with, if you combine those two things, if you look at the game book, the Packers had a 144-yard advantage in field position. So this is not Aaron Rodgers having to throw for 400 yards. This is other units capable of picking up the slack. This Rich Passaccia defense thing seems corny and all, but man, oh, man, Matt, for th three games, the guy's been a miracle worker, hasn't he? He really has. How many times have you seen plays? Well, probably zero. You know, I've been covering this team. This is my fourth season. You've been covering them way longer. But, like, Pat O'Donnell perfectly lofts that punt to, to the goal line. And Keyshawn Nixon runs down there, gets in position, catches it, doesn't fall over the goal line. And then Tom Brady throws three straight incompletions out of the shadow of his own end zone. Never. Like, that, that doesn't happen here. You haven't seen gunners like Rudy Ford and Keyshawn Nixon and Dallin Levitt on, you know, kickoff coverage the past couple of years. You know, Pat O'Donnell had five punts inside the 20 today. That's the first time a Packers punter has had that many punts inside the 20 since 1976. You mean J.K. Scott didn't do that, Matt? Have some respect. I'm sorry. <laughs> I mean, listen. Yes, Rudy Ford had the holding penalty. Yes, you know, that, that phantom running into the kicker on Tipa that 
you know, we that sit right awful. in front of the Packers front office. They were not happy with that one. But I think we're accustomed to to say that anything better than absolute disaster for special teams is is good. They're going a step further. I mean, for the offense couldn't maintain drives in the second half, and the special teams just gave the defense an entire field to work with. That's huge. Yeah, it really limits what the Buccaneers can do on offense. Like when when O'Donnell downs or when Keyshawn Nixon downs that punt at the two, Buccaneers can't use their whole playbook. Makes things a lot easier for the defense. Yeah, what what three tremendous signings by Gutekunst with with Levitt? I'm trying to get this right. Keyshawn Nixon led the Raiders in special teams tackles in 2019. Rudy Ford led the Raiders in 2020. And Dallin Levitt led the Raiders in 2021. Then you mix in Nixon's tremendous play on defense with that deep ball break up the force fumble. Three phenomenal signings. I mean, Rudy Ford is down there like every single time. At some point, which maybe next week, they're going to have to start doubling him, which frees up things for, for the members of the punt team. So he's been, those are three unbelievable under-the-radar signings for people who always get ticked off when the Packers let this $50 million player go and that $75 million player go. Man, those are three really good moves. Yeah, and you remember when Rich Bisaccia said that when he first went to the Raiders, he wanted the Raiders to sign Pat O'Donnell Yeah, as their punter. Um, so, hey, Rich Bisaccia Rich has done a, a really nice job. So has Brian Gutekunst. And, and, and I said this after the game while we're talking, you know, depth and, and – low-key signings how many teams can i know they didn't lose bakhtiari today but they were rotating him in and out with yash nyman how many teams can take out an all-pro left tackle and an all-pro cornerback in jair alexander who left uh after the first drive with a groin injury and didn't return those are i would argue the two most important positions in football outside the quarterback position cornerback and left tackle (laughs) There's a lot of doors closing behind you. If people are wondering what's going on, there's like a series of doors. It's like there's like 50 doors behind you, and it's just like it's like a clown car. They just keep coming out and in and out. It's unbelievable. Anyway, to your point. My point is with Yash Nyman and and Keyshawn Nixon, how many teams can take out guys like David Bakhtiari and and Jair Alexander and really have no visible drop-off? Pretty amazing. Yash has been a really, really good story, Matt. I mean – 2019, he goes undrafted. He's this super physical freak. Um, it was a three-year starter. I think at Virginia Tech, I mean, he didn't know how to play. And they've patiently groomed him um, to being to being a – the guy could start basically, I don't want to say like every team. He could probably start half the teams. He could probably start for half the teams, and he's going to make a boatload of money whether it's here or someplace else when his contract is up. And again, Keyshawn Nixon, he wasn't he played some on defense at the Raiders, but he wasn't like a five or six hundred snaps guy. I want to say he played like less than three hundred maybe with the Raiders in four years. So and he's been he's been phenomenal too. Yeah. Before we get into into Bakhtiari, listen, I understand that the defense's performance has to be taken with a grain of salt. But at the same time, Tom Brady has made a career out of getting the best out of pedestrian wide receiver mm-hmm. cores. I'm not trying to, you know, cape for the Packers here, but he doesn't get afforded the, oh, he was without his top three receivers. This is a guy who gets lauded for the past 20 years of making do with 
without star receivers on the Patriots. He can do it, it, it. Tom Brady's not washed up. He finished second in the MVP voting Taron Rodgers last year. Sure, he doesn't have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, or Julio Jones, or Rob Gronkowski here, but it's still Tom Brady. Like, no game is over against Tom Brady until there are triple zeros on the clock. And to hold a Tom Brady team to only 12 points, I don't care if he's throwing a me and you. It, it's, it's impressive. Um, Rashawn Gary is an absolute force. Um, they got good push from the interior, sacked him three times, I believe. And what was impressive to me most, and I wrote this in my story, after Aaron Jones loses the fumble, don't you just think, watching the Packers the last couple of years, up oh, Buccaneers are going to go down, make it 14-10 at half, or after Aaron Rodgers throws the interception, up oh, Buccaneers are going to go down and score a touchdown on the short field, or after the Packers go three and out on the ensuing possession, up oh, you know, Buccaneers are going to go down and make this a game. Each time the defense came up with a stop, two times with forcing a turnover, one time with, with uh, Keyshawn Nixon covering Perriman deep down the middle in the end zone. And that's what you got to do. Listen, I think the offense will figure it out. Aaron Rodgers has earned the benefit of the doubt when it comes to lifting this offense from the doldrums that it experienced today especially when the, the youth and inexperience and moving parts that, that are the reasons why the offense is kind of struggling right now will improve. That youth will become experience. Those moving parts will become constants. So the offense will seemingly get better. It can't get much worse than it was in the second half today. Yeah, to your point, Matt, about you know, the, the turnovers and the three and outs and all that, I'm not sure who asked Brady during his press conference. Or Brady, Jesus. Who asked Rodgers during his press conference? One of them, Jim Polzine. Do you feel like he was playing with fire by giving the ball to Brady back all the time? And Rodgers goes, normally, yes, but our defense is playing so good. The only couple times they got into a rhythm, we caused turnovers. And then he talked about, you know, uh, Keyshawn Nixon and, and Shaman John Charles playing well and, and Rasul stepping out outside. So this is a, a really good defense. And I thought it was interesting, um, you know, you talking to them, you know, those guys talking to you in the locker room. Is this a confidence-building game for Devondre Campbell? He said, no, they already have the confidence. And I think that's what separates this group from other groups is these guys don't need these checklist items. They don't need to come up big in big games to form belief, which has been the way it's been around here for a long time. They needed a big moment to show that they belong. These guys know that they belong, and it just kind of confirms what they think. Yeah, and you know what's interesting? You know, Kenny Clark said it today uh, that – the Packers really haven't had to win games like this over the years. He's been here since 2016. He's seen it a lot. They haven't really had to win games like this over the years, but it's good to know that they can later in the season. Um, and here's a very interesting stat, which Greg Allman, who covers the Buccaneers for us, notified me of here in the press box. Since 2008, when Aaron Rodgers took over as starting quarterback of the Green Bay Packers, there have been, or entering today, there were 30 games in which the Packers scored 14 or fewer points over those 15 seasons. Packers were 3-27 and in those games. 3-27. and The quarterbacks in those three wins for the other team, Mitch Trubisky in the 2019 season opener when the Packers won uh, 10-3. And then in the 2010 season, Mark Sanchez, Jets, believe the Packers won 9-0. And Jay Cutler, Bears, when the Packers won 10-3 in Week 17. Today was the fourth such win when they scored 14 or fewer and won over the last 15 years. 
against a team with Tom Brady as their quarterback. And like I said, two of those three wins were in the same season they won the Super Bowl. What I'm trying to say is the Packers have a really good defense. Special teams help today, too. Guess what? Until the offense figures it out, winning games with defense and special teams is fine. Offense is going to figure it out. But this is a team who, if they can find different ways to win and win games with defense and special teams, sky's the limit for them. Yeah, don't you think, Matt, looking at the way Dobbs played today, they've got to just go with him and, and Lazard as their primary yeah. receivers. And obviously, you got yep. to mix in Cobb in a slot and all that. And Watson yep. gets back, that'll be good too. But that's where the upside is. Those are the guys who get open. Dobbs had that, I want to say it was a third and eight. And Rodgers just kind of dumped a little pass out in the flat. And he's turning on Jets for the first down. I mean, it, it was not, the play was not going to get a first down without him having that speed to get there. And obviously, Watson has that too. Um, I think the defense playing so good buys them some time to maybe lean a bit more on those guys than, than they might have otherwise. Um, Watkins, or yeah, Sammy Watkins is a nice story last week, but there's no upside there, right? Cobb had a good game today. And he, he's a useful role player, but for these guys to get anywhere on offense, 87 and 9 really have to be a big part of things. Not next week, not next month, but December or January. Right. Uh, I'm sure in these, let's get into the questions now, since I'm sure in the questions will be some of uh, what, we're, what we were going to talk about next. Uh, from at the Dole Whip, did 69 look good today? You know, there was one play where Aaron Jones got tackled for a loss where Bakhtiari got spun around that I remember off the top of my head. I was going to do my film review this week on Bakhtiari, kind of going back and watching every snap he had. But Aaron Rodgers said he didn't notice any drop-off. He seemed very pleased with, with how David Bakhtiari played. Um, I'll get you his exact quote here when I asked Rodgers about uh, that left tackle rotation where uh, him and Yash and I'm in alternated possessions. Rogers said, yeah, I mean, I didn't really notice anything. It was an interesting idea, but it obviously worked out. Dave looked like he felt good. The protection, I thought, was great. I got hit maybe three or four times with one sack. That's kind of a dream type of day, especially against that front on the road. So really great job by the guys up front, and hopefully Dave is feeling better and can play a little bit more next week. Bakhtiari, you know, obviously over the past almost two years, he's done kind of a wait and see. He said, I think it was what I expected on a lot of things from conditioning, level of play, talent out there against a good defense, but just thought I liked where we were at. We'll look at the film and see where we're at, but I think no matter what, regardless of what was going on out there, I'm just happy. The win was to get me out there and get me through. And he laughed. Listen, we were told at the beginning of the game by a Packers PR staffer that Bakhtiari was on a pitch count and Nyman might play the rest of the game after that first drive. Or not the rest of the game, but, you know, Bakhtiari was on a pitch count, and they might not end up alternate series. Bakhtiari lasted until the fourth quarter. That's a good sign. Now, he played 27 snaps against Lions in Week 18, and then stuff hit hit a snag. The next game, next couple weeks, will be the most telling to see if he can string these together, but a good first step nonetheless. Matt, can you imagine being so good at something that you could not do it for months and months and months at a time and be super at it? I'm talking Bakhtiari at Detroit last year and then Bakhtiari today. The guy hasn't played in months and he just comes and he's fine. I can't imagine being that good at anything. 
Listen, Bill, if we recorded this podcast after two years, hell, we record this podcast after a week off and it sucks. Yeah. I mean, look at Elton Jenkins. He missed 10 months and he wasn't very happy. I mean, he charged himself with two sacks against the Bears, you know? <laughs> and we saw him on some of those running plays and it looked like he didn't look, didn't look, it didn't look like he knew what he was doing against Chicago. And that's one of the best guys in the league. So Bakhtiari is a rare dude. Yeah, very much so. Next Here, question. Here's an interesting one from Troy Fox. Yeah. Why are the Packers so good at bouncing back after bad games, but so terrible at bouncing back within the games themselves when adversity hits? See, I think that's nonsense. So do I. I mean, the defense, and I, and I, there's a, I got a bunch of these just during the game too about complaining. The Buccaneers are damn good for one, and that plays a role with them, but how much more adversity do you want in the game than you got today? The offense couldn't get out of their own way, and the defense kept stepping up again and again and again. That, to me, is adversity. Adversity doesn't – stepping up in the face of adversity doesn't always have to be, you know, the same unit. Like you said, with the offense, they played the best defense in the league today, probably. A handful of the same defenders who held this same team to 10 points and zero in the last three quarters on this same field two years ago. The defense and special teams picked them up. You know, not it's not always going to be, uh, you know, all three phases clicking at the exact same time. Like, I, I'm looking for this game that I just thought of off the top of my head last year against the Vikings at the Vikings last year um, in Week 11. Adversity hit first half. Packers only scored 10 points. They were not good. Then they scored 21 in the second half. That's a mid-game adjustment. Like, I, I understand it's a it's an easy narrative to try and paint especially since there have been those kinds of full team meltdowns in recent years, like the uh, Chargers game a couple years ago, 49ers in the playoffs in regular season, Buccaneers regular season, Saints regular season. But like the Packers were, were losing against the Bears in prime time last year, late into the second quarter. Then they win 45 to 30. Like, there are, there are in-game adjustments. We just don't realize those as much because the Packers win those games comfortably. Yep. But there have been plenty of those. Um, so I don't buy into that. And like I said, I think even though it wasn't the offense that... And I, what, do you, what do you mean responded? Like, they had one bad half. It's not like they were bad the whole game. They had one great half, one bad half. If Aaron Jones doesn't fumble that ball, it might be 21-3. to three. We're, we're not having that discussion right now. We can't say, oh, they had a bad third quarter and didn't respond for the fourth quarter. They had one bad half against the best defense in football. When you put it like that, which is what it was, it's not that bad. Yeah, the Saints and Cowboys at home, mind you, scored a total of 13 points. Total. Correct. So, Packers scored 14 on their first two drives and uh, were one yard away from making it 21 points in the first half. All right, here's a funny one from Quinn. Was Rich Bass... Was Rich, I'm going to say it because it's actually kind of an interesting question. Was Rich Bisaccia for Devontae Adams a fair trade? Do we net wins from this? I know it's a it's a funny question, but... Stop it. <laughs> no. I, 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 I'll just say this. I 1,000%... And listen, you know we love Devontae. He was fantastic with us. There was nobody better to talk to the media than Devontae Adams. I 
1000% respect why he made that decision. It obviously wasn't for, you know, it was for football reasons, but objectively, if you wanted to go to the better team, you would go to the Packers. I respect why he went there for happiness to play with his friend. It wasn't for the money. There were other things besides football. I'm not, you know, shitting on him for that. The Raiders are the only 0-3 team left in football. And, you know, Derek Carr is not great. Obviously, the Packers would love to have Devontae Adams. He's the best receiver in football, even if the numbers the first three games don't say it. And obviously, the Devontae deal wasn't in return for Rich Bisaccia. But I do think getting Rich Bisaccia independent of Devontae was an absolute game changer, not just for the coaching that he's done while he's here, not just for the this culture change that he's had in the building, but for the personnel he's helped bring in, like we talked about earlier. I don't know how much influence he had with Rudy Ford, but Dallin Levitt, Keyshawn Nixon are here only because, largely because they played for Rich Bisaccia in Vegas. Pat O'Donnell is here largely because Rich Bisaccia wanted him when he was with the Raiders and O'Donnell was still with the Bears. Rich Bisaccia has been huge. It's three games. And Matt LaFleur said last week he can sense a mentality brewing. That mentality carried over this week. Some good things, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna trash Devontae because uh, I can't tell that story. But all right, just carry on. I don't want to get into that. You know, that all all that said though, Matt, if if they don't trade Devontae, now they they would have kept Devondre Campbell, but they probably don't have the money for Rasul Douglas. Correct. They probably don't have the money for Jaron Reed, and maybe some of these other quote-unquote, minor signings. So I, I, I do think it factors. Yeah. Here, I got a, we got a bunch of these. This is including from Kevin D. Cushing. Do the Packers understand the value of timeouts? I've only seen these guys, Matt. Obviously, you were with, with the Raiders. Is this – Did you have you ever seen teams burn timeouts like these guys do? I'd have to think. I mean, I, I covered Jack Del Rio and John Gruden and some really bad Raiders teams, so probably. But uh, – <laughs> Listen, in the first half, it's not as egregious. But there have been a bunch of times over the past couple seasons where you think, the Packers really need to use a timeout, whether it's can't hear the play, getting out of the huddle late. You just think they can clean some things up in that regard. I don't think – it hasn't been anything backbreaking yet, but just some things that could use some tidying up. Yeah, and it's not going to, I mean, Rodgers has burned timeouts throughout his career. I don't I don't know why it's going to change. Um, probably an interesting question to ask him on Wednesday, though, about his theory on using timeouts in the first halves of games, because he did, he does go through them like I, I, like I go through coffee, so. <laughs> um, Let me find a question here. All right. Better tracksuit game, you or LaFleur, me. Um, from Jared Reinitz, what is the reason why the Packers don't take any deep shots? Well, I'd have to watch the tape back, but the the trend in today's NFL is to make teams dink and dunk and then tempt them to take that deep shot and make a mistake and get impatient. Um, this Buccaneers defense is really good at testing that, and they did that today. Rodgers got rid of the ball quickly. He threw stuff short. Can't remember many times he went deep. I know on that uh, kind of... Slot fade to Alan Lazard in the fourth quarter. But listen, take it's cliche, but you got to take what the defense gives you. 
And Rodgers is really good at that and not not getting too eager or anxious because that's kind of what the Packers do too. That's what uh, Joe Barry came from the Brandon Staley system in, in LA and that's what that uh, defense is predicated on, like the too high stuff and, and not letting guys get over the top and keeping everything underneath and just tempting these these younger quarterbacks to take shots. Now, we watched two quarterbacks play today who are two of the more patient ones in the league um, and, and know what they're doing against that kind of defense. And also, I think it's because you can make an argument that Sammy Watkins and Christian Watson are the Packers' two best receivers at stretching the field, and they both didn't play today. So that's probably another reason why. Yep, it probably sums it up pretty well. Um, I just think they don't want to get Rodgers. I mean, Rodgers took a beating the first couple of games, and the Bucks were number one in sacks, and there's probably no reason to attempt Tempt fate there. From Ramiz, Let's do a couple more. Yeah, from Ramiz uh, Jawani. Long term. Ramiz uh, Ahmed, the practice squad is kicker? He's not. I was wondering that. Yeah, long term, could Mason Crosby replace? No. Long term, could Yash <laughs> be the starting right tackle and move Jenkins back inside? Well, I forget who it was. Maybe Stenovich or LaFleur said that Yash had been working at right tackle in practice, just we, we haven't seen. We haven't seen it in a game yet. That's obviously way different. It's clear the coaches feel their best five right now does not include Yash. And one of the most important things in football is a very, very sturdy third tackle. And Yash Nyman could be the best third tackle in the NFL. So the Packers obviously right now want to keep him in uh, in his comfort zone of left tackle. Um, Elton Jenkins, I'm sure he could, but he also hasn't played right guard in a regular season game, I don't believe. Maybe one snap? Yeah, maybe. I know he's played, yeah. I think one snap in his NFL career, he's played right guard, which is why we can say he's played all five positions. But um, if you're saying, I think Runyon has been solid at left guard. Bakhtiari's obviously the left tackle. Newman's obviously the the, the worst. I, I say that, you know, comparatively is the worst of the five on the starting offensive line right now. Um, do you move Yash to right to a position he hasn't played to move Jenkins to a position he hasn't played? I don't think they want to do that right now. You know, Royce is a much better right guard than he is right tackle. Still not spectacular. Um, could he lose that spot to Zach Tom middle of the season? Sure. But I, I think right now, especially after a game in which Rogers said he thought the protection was fantastic against this front, they ain't making any changes. No, I remember somebody asked Stenovich way back in May about Yash playing right tackle. Um, and he just seemed totally dismissive of it. Um, as in, he's gotten all these, uh, he's just not very good at it. I don't know. He's just gotten so many reps at left tackle over his time here that maybe that's just what he's best at. But Stenovich just seemed to totally downplay it in, in the spring. Um, also, I think from Jenkins' perspective, doesn't he want to play tech? He doesn't want to play guard. Uh, his agent Franchise will be like, You're tag not money. Yes. More money. I mean, seriously, people, there's more money to be made at tackle than at guard. Um, I think you got to listen to your players. I think Jen Jenkins is perfectly happy to be playing tackle right now. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. Two more questions. Maybe one. Let's get one more. I'm scrolling. I'm scrolling too. Well, Jair will know more tomorrow, maybe. It's obviously significant enough for him to miss the game. 
Lafleur didn't have anything more on it after the game. Um, Here, here's one from Nate Nadelhofer. Are you more impressed with the defense versus a depleted offense or more disappointed with our offense versus a good defense? I would say more impressed with the uh, Jimmy G just got picked off. Looks like the Broncos are going to win. 11-10. You want to talk about an ugly game? Um, I think I'm more impressed with the defense than I am disgusted by the offense. Listen, we talked earlier about the Buccaneers probably have the best defense in the league. Packers are still figuring things out on offense. They had one really good half, could have easily been 21 points. But to hold a Tom Brady team, even if he doesn't have his top three receivers, to to 12 points, like I said, he's made a career out of getting a lot out of a little. Today, the Packers' defense was good enough that he couldn't do that. Yeah, I'll take the opposite one on that one, Matt. I, the offense okay. stunk in the second half, and that's a that's a problem. I, I get it. Maybe the rookies will be up to the task if there's a rematch against the Buccaneers or, or whoever in the playoffs. But to go from moving the ball up and down the field at will for basically three series and doing nothing after that, that's a problem. Look, the Buccaneers' defense is great. I get it. But for all the talk about how Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are their best players, they didn't do anything. They didn't have any running room. Um, the passing game to them got nothing accomplished. Um, Jones against Tampa, Tampa, Tampa Bay is like Jones' kryptonite in three consecutive games now. Um, they got some real issues against these guys. Of course, I mean, everyone's going to have issues against the Bucs. I get it. But to go from playing really good, I'll say great football on offense for 29 minutes to absolutely dreadful football for 31 minutes. Um, that's not good. Again, no reason, to press the, no reason to press the panic button on it. But I would say they, that was a disappointment. That's fair. Oh, no, it, it for sure was a disappointment. I was just saying I was more impressed than disappointed in the other. Sure. Um, all right. Next week. Patriots at Packers. Bill Belichick and the Pats come to town. They're one and two. Mac Jones will likely not be playing. He suffered a high ankle sprain today. So we get to watch Brian Hoyer next week. Um, that should be a win for the Packers, but nothing is is a given in this league. Until then, I'm Matt. He's Bill. You know where to find us. Thanks for listening.